0: Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and put them against each other inside the ring of Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metabolic. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. I'm Horny, 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 Horny. I'm disturbed. Disturbed,
1: disturbed, disturbed. And I'm nervous. (laughs)
0: Uh, Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bonus Clash. Uh, It's a bonus episode this week, and it's a bonus episode with a a difference. It's our first Ella bonus episode. Anyway, we have a special guest joining us for this bonus episode. Kev, would you like to introduce our guest, please? So, yeah, to honour beef season... We decided to do something a little bit
2: different and do a little something on response songs, diss songs, however you want to categorise them. So we decided to have our first ever guest. Introducing our Insta icon, our social media sage. It's it's Sam who um, is the person who does all the quality Insta content which we always talk about
1: Oh, yeah. Hi. I feel like that was like a really big introduction for what seems like a really small amount of work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love the big build-up, And then you sort of lost confidence in it halfway through. (laughs) It's Sam. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Hello, Sam. Welcome to Arm Clash.
1: Hi, I am so excited to be a part of this podcast. I've obviously listened from the beginning and I've been desperate, desperate to come on.
0: Great. Well, it's a a pleasure to have you. It is indeed. And uh, well, and thank you for all your fine Insta content as well, because um, it scares us. You are most welcome. (laughs) Not not, not your content, but Instagram in general. No,
1: Instagram in general. and, And to the listeners, when I say these two have no clue, When it comes to Instagram, it's quite frightening, actually, that two intelligent (laughs) men have such little idea about the modern world.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so as, as Kev said, we are doing, on this bonus episode, we're doing diss songs. So it's not an album clash. It is a call and response diss song clash. But before we do that, We will do a a special edition of Can't Get You Out of My Head. Not from Kevin or I, but Sam, what have you had stuck in your head this week?
1: I'll start with the shite. So I was thinking of a funny kind of story introduction sort of thing for the podcast and accidentally earwormed myself. (laughs) I wanted to tell the listeners about the time that I accidentally motivated a woman in the (laughs) theatre.
2: I mean, that's up there with intros to stories that we, we've had on this call.
1: <laughs> Basically, I was in Liverpool Empire Theatre seeing Wicked, and if for any reason this woman is listening, I am truly sorry.
0: Not, not least of all for bringing back all those repressed memories that she's managed <laughs> Obviously, to Obviously, yeah,
1: <laughs> The trauma. <laughs> Trigger warning. <laughs> um, so we were in the theatre and we were sat in the middle seats and I really needed to wait, and Kev will vouch. That I am the worst person for needing the toilet at the worst time.
2: Honestly, she's got a thimble bladder.
1: <laughs> so it's a really dr- like dramatic scene. It's quiet, and I thought that I'm going to wet myself. I'm at the point now I'm like going blue. So I get up, and you've got to do that polite side shuffle, haven't you? Along, like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. But this woman had a handbag. A large handbag, which was open in the middle of the aisle. So you
0: pissed in it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but obviously it was dark because the show was on and I stood in a handbag <laughs> and I fell on top of it. Literally, I was suffocating her. She had a drink that went flying. She had minstrels <laughs> that went flying. I couldn't get up. I was just, I was mortified. But I- and she's got a face
0: full of your cleavage.
1: <laughs> well, essentially, on the basis of this story, <laughs> Sam has
2: given
0: her an impromptu lap laugh dance <laughs> in the middle of the
1: <laughs> Definitely not an appropriate time to give a lap dance, <laughs> let me and tell she- you. And she
0: spaffed the minstrels everywhere
1: as a result. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, and I did offer to buy her a drink in a minstrels bag and she didn't find it as funny as me. Honestly, at one point I was practically breastfeeding it. How the fuck is up in a fucking earworm? <laughs> anyway, so when I was thinking about that, the song "Sugarland" stuck like glue, got stuck in my head, and I've literally been walking around the house all week singing the chorus. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, stuck on you. Uh (laughs) You can cut that bit out. (laughs) Nobody needs to hear
0: I'm the editor. I have full creative control. That's fucking (laughs) staining.
1: So that is my shite song that has been stuck in my head, which is my own fault for thinking of that poor woman having a motorboat from (laughs) me on a Wednesday afternoon. And the good song I've had in my head, and if you've never heard it, Tim and the listeners, I would suggest you listen to it. Is "Girls in the Hood" by Megan The Stallion. If you're in a bad mood, sad mood, if you're frustrated, it's just one of them songs that you can put on and just uplift you. And it's just absolutely brilliant. So again, I would definitely. I've not got a funny story to go with that one, other than it's boss.
0: Sound so "Girls in the Hood" Megan The Stallion absolutely sound we will as always tweet out the link to that that is what sam has had stuck in her head good stuff lovely 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 right okay down to business so sam as our guest would you like the honor of going first and introducing your diss track diss tracks excuse me first
1: i would so my tracks this week i'm taking it a little bit more into the modern era and a a little bit (laughs) (laughs) Away from you, all, it's a bit more to the younger side. And I'm going to talk about the 2021 beef, which is Olivia Rodrigo versus Sabrina Carpenter.
0: Okay, so can I just, like you said, a little bit more into the modern era. That's like... 10 minutes ago
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Olivia Rodrigo Wrote a song called Driver's License And through that song Has become an absolute pop sensation Now Olivia is 17 years old I mean she's 18 now But when she wrote the song She was 17 All of the music behind it and stuff She did that Instruments, everything She did that At 17 years old I'm in awe of the talent 17 years old, and this was her debut single, and it broke a string of records. On the fourth day of its release, it broke the records for the most single streams in one day. It's the biggest first week for a song on Spotify and Amazon Music. It topped the US Billboard Top 100, making her the youngest artist to ever top the charts. It spent eight weeks at number one, becoming the longest-running number one song for a debut single. It's certified triple platinum by the RIAA, and finally, it topped the charts in Canada, Ireland, New Zealand and the UK. So, the song was written about her ex-boyfriend, Joshua Bassett.
0: Bertie's lad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's got all the flavours of licorice.
0: (laughs) I mean, I hope that doesn't come
2: into it.
1: Oh, we'll have to see. (laughs) It isn't just any scorned woman song, as Joshua isn't just an ex boyfriend. He is her co star on the Disney Plus series, High School Musical, The Musical, The Series. Try saying that when you've had a few drinks. Hold up, hold up. High
0: School Musical,
1: The Musical, The the series. Series.
0: That's fucking daft, that is. It's a
1: 2020 spin-off of the High School Musical movie trilogy with a really long, complicated name.
2: Has it gone, like, meta? So the people in High School Musical, the musical, are performing High School, the musical... Do you know what? I can't even... Like, (laughs) my brain is actually broken by the title.
0: Is it a TV series of people who are... In the show, performing the musical High School Musical.
1: That's exactly what it is, but they're all actors.
0: That's fucking nuts.
1: Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Can you imagine the green room on set after the release of Driver's License?
0: What? So hang on, this, the show, the show is still running.
1: The show is still running. So is she still in it?
0: Shit, they're bed.
1: They're both still in it. Whoa. They're both in it, and they both play a love interest on screen. So Joshua actually responded to the release of driver's license with a single tweet saying lies, 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 which later became the title of his reply song. Whoa, 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 whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. Well, you just skipped over an entire song. He, what do you mean
1: he's... This is not the song that you've put in the clash. Right, right. No, it's not because there's more beef, Tim. There's layers. I <laughs> mean, are, are we now Are we now suggesting this is
2: a Big Mac? There are multiple layers of beef.
1: There is multiple layers. This is the Big Mac of beef.
0: Let's see if you can get us up to five, guys. <laughs>
1: Okay, so some of the first lyrics in the song are, and you're probably with that blonde girl who always made me doubt. She's so much older than me. She's everything I'm insecure about. Now, this verse is aimed at Bassett's new girlfriend, Sabrina Carpenter, who is blonde and 21. So as discussed before, Olivia is 17. So Sabrina is a couple of years older than Olivia, and she's blonde.
0: I am obliged at this point to say, allegedly, 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 <laughs> allegedly.
1: So what deepens the beef is that Sabrina is also a Disney star who starred in Girls Meets World and is also a breakout pop star. This beef sent ripples through the Disney fandom. In that Olivia still clearly holds a candle to Joshua during the writing of the song after pointing out that he has moved on with an older woman, she writes, And I just can't imagine how you could be so okay now that I'm gone and all my friends are tired of hearing how much I miss you, so she makes her feelings allegedly clear that she still loves him.
0: I, I, w- I would suggest there's another lyric in the song, which makes it abundantly clear <laughs> <laughs> that she still loves him, <laughs> where she says repeatedly, I still fucking love you.
2: <laughs> yeah, but... A... And, and I also drive by your house in a slightly stalk.
0: way. <laughs> I mean, like, love, stalk, it's <laughs> a <laughs> <to> fine line.
1: <laughs> Listen.
2: It's an extreme form of love.
0: that's what you told the court anyway
1: (laughs) speaking from a lady's perspective we've all been there (laughs) (laughs) let's be honest though imagine right being a teenager and going to work having to see your ex every day play a couple with him to then have him break your heart find another girl and post with her all over social media and, I mean, I'm sure all the money she's made now out of the song and heartbreak is sound, but you can definitely hear the deep hurt. She's not living the best life.
0: No, she's not.
1: I mean, the first thing that I did when I got my driver's licence was go around the McDonald's drive through <laughs> I can't imagine driving past my ex's house. So, whilst the lyrics are pretty telling, it was never confirmed to the media that the song was actually about Sabrina and Joshua.
0: You're right. It was never admitted or confirmed that that's what the song was about. However, Olivia Rodrigo is quoted as having said, I was going through a heartbreak that was so confusing to me, so multifaceted. Putting all these feelings into a song made everything seem so much cleaner and simpler. So... Without actually being an admission, it seems to be about as close as you can get to, you know, confirming it. Yeah.
1: Oh God, gotcha. yeah. But Joshua did release lies, 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 which he claims isn't about Olivia. But considering it was the tweet he sent on the day of the release of his song, it does seem obvious to me that it is about Olivia. Yeah. So, what do you guys think of Driver's License? So,
2: <clears throat> for for me it's a really effective really well put together piece of power pop it's really well performed it has the kind of emotional
0: pull you'd expect from a ballad i think i think it's i think it's very effective so i hadn't heard the song until you asked us to to look at it for the clash and i really like it i agree i agree what you both said it is a really good power ballad It ends far stronger than it starts. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I agree with that. At the start, the sort of genteel nature of her voice, I find a little bit grating. But as it builds and as it gets to the sort of crescendo at the end, I find when she's singing more powerfully, I find that a lot more impactful. Yeah, I like it. I think it's a good song, this. I think you're right as well.
2: That It starts off quite simple, but as as it develops, I think... That's, that's what hooks you towards the end is that she throws a lot of, a lot of stuff at it. So you've got, you've got the strings, you've got obviously the emotional content to it and that works really well in terms of how it, how it develops. I think the, the way it ends as well, where it strips everything back and you've just got her voice, is, yep. is a very effective and a really clever uh, way to kind of leave you with the,
0: the emotional impact, the devastation
2: that she feels from
0: the song.
1: A hundred percent.
0: What Fun fact, the sound of the car at the start of the song, as well as putting you in mind of Craftworks Autobahn, apparently that is her mum's car. So you may have passed your driving test, but you haven't got your own fucking car, have you, love?
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm not being funny, Tim. After the success of the song, she's probably got about 15 cars now. (laughs) But I've got to say, I absolutely love this song. And it's funny because... I didn't like Olivia's voice in High School Musical, the musical that says her voice didn't pull me in, but I think because this is her own song and she wrote it and you can truly see the love and passion. I actually really love her voice, which I didn't beforehand. And I just Mm. love that it's so simple and impactful at the same time. And I do feel like it tells a really good story. And Kevin Timmerbough tell you the type of music that I listen to I do like a story.
0: Um, Okay, so that's one half of your beef. Please flip your burger over and uh, cook the other side.
1: So sizzling in to the next song (laughs) in our clash. Nice. We have Sabrina Carpenter entering the ring. Now, I mentioned a little bit about her career and her age and that before, but she certainly took the opportunity to respond to Olivia through music of her own. Now, this song amazingly was released just two weeks after driver's license. I mean, the girl must have been pissed. (laughs) She must have been enraged. Now, whilst the song definitely did well due to the whirlwind that was driver's license, it definitely wasn't held to the same level. The song reached 48 on the US Billboard's Hot 100, which was her first single to reach the Hot 100. And it did reach number one in New Zealand's Hot Singles. I think it's safe to say that the success of the single was down to the interest in the love triangle. But that certainly doesn't take away from the songs, lyrics and storytelling, I feel anyway. She directly answers Rodrigo's line about her I bet you with that blonde girl with maybe you didn't mean it, maybe blonde was the only rhyme. And I really like that direct response. I like that it's straight to the point. She's not messing around. She's like, you called me out. Why?
0: Yes, agreed. Uh, and it is very, very clearly a response song. Even the line in the chorus where she says, you can try to get under my under my skin while he's on mine. Like, that's a fuck you if you've heard it. However she has denied that it is a response song so in April of this year Mm -hmm. Sabrina Carpenter is quoted as having said people will make a narrative out of something always and I think this was like a really interesting song for people to kind of misinterpret make into something that it wasn't really supposed to be in the first place yeah
1: oh god yeah
2: two weeks after the release i'm calling absolutely bullshit like as you as you point out the chorus is pretty unambiguous
1: (laughs) yeah definitely definitely now she also says lines like i'm not asking you to let it go but you've been telling your side so i'm telling mine so like there was speculation of the beef with olivia's song but carpenter has 100 confirmed it with the reply. (laughs) So like you say, Tim, bollocks. And when she released this song, I was shocked that she'd drawn attention to the situation. There are so many speculations about every song released But generally, after a few weeks, the world moves on. You forget about it. Nobody really thinks about it again. And I can't decide if this song was to ride on the coattails of the successive Rodrigo song and a really strong move. And if so, more power to her. I don't know whether she did it because she was mad and she was angry or if she did it because she thought, I can make a bit money here.
0: Okay. Uh, Can I offer another take? Yeah. So that you said that they've both been employed by the Disney Corporation. Yeah. And are both famous faces of the Disney Corporation. Now, far be it from me to suggest that Disney Corporation, it may be in their own interests to take advantage of the naivety and the insatiable desire of the general public for celebrity gossip to satisfy their own ends. I'm not suggesting that's what's happened here, but I am suggesting that's what's happened here.
1: See, I <laughs> have <laughs> a different I have a different view on it. I think that maybe they didn't confirm it and couldn't confirm it and Carpenter had to deny it. So Disney could keep their squeaky clean image. Because Disney has mm. a very strict, like To work in a Disney park, you can't have tattoos. Like, their image is squeaky, squeaky clean. So I think that perhaps that's why they've never confirmed it.
2: Or, and as we know, there is a a strong, long history of former Disney uh, stars using music to break out of the mould that they had. So you can think of Miley Cyrus, Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake. So there's loads of them. So maybe that it was mutually beneficial to both parties to stoke this beef, sell some records, and break out of the image that they had to be able to develop their music career. A perfect
1: Disney star. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, we have our opinions.
1: We have our opinions. And also, they both now follow each other on Instagram. So... Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, I suspect this is a
1: Well, there's a huge part of me that is hoping...
0: We are marks.
1: I really hope that if Sabrina and Joshua break up, that Olivia and Sabrina club together for like a power duet sort of thing. But I highly doubt that'll happen. So, what did you guys think of skin?
0: I didn't like this. I don't like her voice. I think it's far too Britnified. It is too much of a response, not lyrically, but musically. In the structure of the song, that starts slow, then has a as a sort of faster beat, then slows down again. It's um, no, not a fan, not a fan of this. It's too formulaic. It's got none of the emotional impact that driver's license has got. To me, this is very much Miley Cyrus Light. Not a fan, sorry.
2: So it's uh, the pod hive mind uh, comes to the fore again. So I didn't, (laughs) I didn't like skin either. It's quite formulaic. It never, it never grabbed me. When you compare it to the emotional gut punch the driver's license gives you,
1: it's nowhere near as good. So I tried my best to keep kind of a poker face through all my information.
0: Uh, you failed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't like skin. I don't like it. I feel like the song is rushed. It's repetitive. But yeah, no, I didn't I didn't like Sprina's song. In my opinion, it was done to make money, which is great. More power to her. But for me, Olivia takes this one in the ring of death.
0: so just like so so that's your vote I'm gonna second that and I'm guessing it's a clean sweep
2: it's an absolute landslide Uh, driver's license is the best song.
0: it's not even close yeah agreed okay shall we move on Kev do you want to bring your beef to the table I am bringing some
2: significant beef here so the first one I'm going to bring to the table is between James Brown and Joe Tex, uh, two soul legends. Uh, so the first song is "You've Got the Power" by James Brown. The Second song is "You Keep Her" by Joe Tex, and boy, is there some beef here! So the song, it's, so the initial song itself, I've got to, I've got to hold my hand up and say that the first song, the James Brown one, "You've Got the Power," is not, it's not calling out Joe Tex, but it is the Inception of the beef. Well, it's not actually the inception of the beef. Well, okay. So there is beef between the two because James Brown recorded a Joe Tex song, changed changed some of the lyrics, and it became a much more successful song,
0: and he got a writing credit for it as well. Yes, baby, you're right. Was the song, and it was only a year after that Joe Tex's version as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So
2: you got the power on the song is Joe Tex's former wife. B. Ford, and this is, if there wasn't beef before about James Brown being more successful with Joe Tex's booking song, this very much cemented it, because James Brown started squiring uh, B. Ford, <laughs> we'll, we'll put it that way. He wooed her. He seduced her, he entangled with her, he uh, had an infonglement.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that, infonglement. <laughs> As is the common parlance on album Clash, they were sexually in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but James Brown decides, nah, I've had enough. And literally sends Joe Tex a letter saying, I'm done with your ex-wife, you can have her back. Which led to Joe Tex recording the song You Keep Her, which is the second part of our clash. And it includes the lines, James, I got your letter. It came to me today. You said I could have
0: my baby back, but I don't want her that way. You said that it includes those lines. They are literally the opening lyrics (laughs) to the song.
2: (laughs) I mean, the whole song. Could not be clearer. He's not messing about. He
0: is calling James Brown out. The only way it could have been clearer is if the opening verse had been literally him writing an envelope, James Brown, care of, Chess records. <laughs> <laughs> so there is
1: some
2: beef between the two.
1: So he basically treated beef old like property. Well, yeah. I've had it, you can have a back.
2: Um, James James Brown does not have the best history history with women at all. But this beef continues. So... It's juicy ju- quarter pounder. Oh, God. No, it's a, it's a double quarter pounder.
1: With Cheese. <laughs>
2: James Brown um, has a legendary show at the Apollo, the Apollo Theatre, and it's recorded and it's it's one of James Brown's most famous albums.
1: The one in Manchester.
2: Yes, the one in Manchester. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, the Harlem Apollo. And he has a homecoming show uh, in Macon, Georgia, after the release of this. And Joe Tex opened the show and he turned up Wearing a raggedy cape. Now, James Brown, if you're not aware, was incredibly famous for wearing a cape whilst he performed. And this cape had holes in it. It was basically like a towel with loads of holes in it that Joe Tex was
0: wearing.
1: So they both wear a cape?
0: James Brown wears a cape as part of his act, generally. Joe Tex, when he's opening in this show, decides, I'm going to take the piss out of James Brown and come on with a fucking skanky old cape, which is basically Rab C. Nesbitt's vest. Yeah,
2: And it's James Brown's homecoming show This is his hometown And Joe Tex, he does a James Brown performance So he drops to his knees And he gets tangled up in this cape And basically takes the piss out of James Brown In front of his home audience Literally his hometown So
1: were they both performing at the same show?
2: Yes, so James Brown's the headliner Jo Tex is opening.
0: This is the first oh my act.
1: God, imagine! So did James Brown ask Jo Tex to open
0: it? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because he could lord over him. Yeah.
1: Oh. And, and
2: Jo Tex does this. Oh. Jo Tex does a version of one of James Brown's most famous songs of this. This time, and he's set singing. He gets himself wrapped up in the cape, drops to his knees, says, "Please, please, get me out of this cave!" And he's just absolutely mocking James Brown's entire stagecraft, like everything he does on stage. And James Brown does not take this well. I am not surprised. Soon after the show, everyone sort of goes to this after-hours Duke joint. Otis Redding, who is amazing, say like, "I
0: just so you've got a fucking show in Macon, Georgia." where you've got James Brown playing, along with Joe Tex. And then, oh, we're just going to go to some after-hours bar. Who's playing? Otis Redding. Sal. Otis Redding's playing at, like, just an after-show party.
1: I mean, I want to go on this <laughs> night out. I want to be there.
2: Yeah, so anyway, they turn up at this Duke joint where Otis Redding's playing and he's, Joe Tex is there. James Brown turns up with two shotguns and reportedly shoots six or seven people in the in the process of trying to shoot Joe Tex.
1: What Does anyone die? No one dies. Oh, but God, it's all right then. So, I mean, it's not all right. No. Shooting someone is never all right. Disclaimer. So, of
0: course, of course, James Brown was brought to justice, wasn't he, Kevin? No,
2: James Brown absolutely tears off in the tour bus and his entourage go around handing hundreds of dollars out to people in the club, including people who were shot by James Brown, to not say anything. And it all got hushed up.
1: Oh, my
0: God. I tripped and fell on a bullet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not being funny how bad your aim got to be if it takes you six attempts to shoot someone and every time you shoot somebody else.
0: Six or seven. Six or seven. It's never confirmed.
1: Allegedly. uh, Once again. Allegedly. uh,
2: Reportedly, according to those who were there, So James Brown doesn't let this shit go So on the 1972 track Funky Side of Town with Bobby Burrell And Hank Ballard They mention loads of famous Soul legends uh, Within the song When it gets to um, Joe Tex James Brown says who It's then said again Joe Tex and James Brown again says Who So we're talking like 10, 11 years later The man can hold a grudge
1: He can hold the beef It's got to be jerky by now.
0: (laughs) If he can hold his beef for that long, then I'm sure it is jerky. (laughs) Should have (laughs) held. There's good beef here. I mean, it's not quite... Michael Jackson and Prince ping pong levels (laughs) of (laughs) me. I mean, the man literally shot other people. (laughs) Allegedly, I do not want to get sued. There's like at least two or three different people. It's on Wikipedia, so just fucking sue them. (laughs) (laughs) Sue the wiki people. So should we talk about our views on these two songs? Yeah, okay. You got the power, so what do you think? I have to say, it's, I don't dislike it. It's a fairly unremarkable soul song. It's fine. It's got a nice blues standard. It's a nice duet. It's well sung and well performed by everyone involved. It would not have been noteworthy had it not been the genesis of everything that went on in this clash. That's all I'm going to say.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed the song. I was bopping along to it on the way to the museum today, and I genuinely enjoyed it. As Tim said, it would not have been noteworthy if it wasn't for like the beef behind the song Um, But, I I mean, I enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, I think, I I don't disagree with you, I think that it's it's a fairly standard soul number of its time. It's not particularly remarkable, B Ford's voice is quite nice, James Brown is James Brown, so, you know. But, yeah, it's not a particularly remarkable song. So, how did you feel about You Keep Her?,
1: I liked the song and I liked the response, but obviously it was frustrating because they were basically speaking like B Ford, like she was an object, Mm -hmm. which I kind of struggled to get past that and listen to the song, but stripping that away and putting that to one side, the song itself, I didn't find as enjoyable as James Brown's song. I didn't, I didn't find, I I kind of just switched off when I had to listen to it like two or three times because I kept, kind of drifting off into my own world when listening to it, it certainly didn't keep me and grasp me in the moment.
0: Okay. Okay, I agree. So the first thing that you said about it treating B Ford like a possession, I agree entirely, and I've said that exactly, that Joe Tex is talking about how he taught her to be a woman, he taught her to look good. I don't don't like that. Yeah,
1: all of that is...
0: It's quite unedifying, that whole bit. It is very unedifying. But for me... I found this to be a much more captivating song. It's a much more interesting song. It's very bitter. It's biting. It's furious. It's wry. It has a humour to it. I like the riff at the start, the brass, which Aerosmith then nicked for crying (laughs) 30 years later. I I like this. Despite my misgivings about the lyrics, I think this is a much better song.
1: Fair enough.
0: Okay. So that falls to me as the casting vote.
2: So as loath as I am to... Not vote for a James Brown song, the Joe Tex song. It's it's a better song. Like just on the brass, the brass alone <laughs> is really yep. good and hooks you in. I I completely agree with what you're saying about the abhorrent kind of possessive nature of the male narrative within the song. But musically, it is a better song. So I will I will fall on Joe Tex is the better song.
1: Okay, I definitely didn't feel that. But perhaps that is my perhaps I was unable to separate my own personal anger
0: yeah I get with that. the
1: lyrics from the actual music I kind mm. of I did genuinely struggle to get past that.
2: I think I think what it's interesting to have a female dynamic within that you couldn't get past that kind of possessive thing and I think that's that's mm. really important to to be very clear that that's not acceptable
0: a good point yeah
1: yeah definitely
2: okay so we go into my second second beef and it's a it's a bigger it's a biggie we deal with the breakup of the beetles here and i think it's fair to say that the breakup was a slightly bitter and protracted mess i mean like the beetles weren't formally dissolved so they split up 1970, as we will get into. But the formal dissolution of the band and Apple Corps and everything like that didn't actually occur until 1974. That's how long the legal wrangles went on for.
0: So it's a bit like the end of World War II when uh, World War II couldn't officially end until uh, Germany was reunited so that the Allies could declare the war with Germany over. Not like that at all. Carry on.
2: Well, well, I I could have used the example of it's like uh, the Crimean War didn't actually end until 1969 because Berwick upon Tweed um, wasn't included (laughs) in the peace settlement, and um, there had to be an official peace treaty between the Soviet the nuclear powered Soviet Union at the time
0: and Berwick upon Tweed. Is um is so in this analogy is. I'm assuming Ringo is berwick upon <laughs> Ringo will always be berwick upon three. <laughs> <laughs> that makes the edit.
2: So the Beatles had been slowly breaking up, really. After, <laughs> ironically, a previous class that we'd
0: done, Sergeant Peppers, that was when the last time they were a collective unit. Yeah, uh, we said that at the time, didn't we? Yeah. As you just said, it's the last time that it was a unified effort. And even then, certain members of the Beatles didn't feel that way. So the subsequent recordings
2: of the White Album, Abbey Road, were fractious affairs. The People weren't getting along. And or certain people, as we discussed in our first clash, didn't feel that their musical contributions were actually being valued. So George Harrison saved a lot of songs from this period and went on to All Things Must Pass. So... In September 1969, John Lennon said that he was going to leave the Beatles. But this was kept kept quiet because they were about to sign a new deal with Capitol Records, and Apple Records had been ran incredibly badly for some period, and the Beatles basically weren't making any money. Despite being the biggest band in the world, despite selling all these records, they weren't making anything. So it was never confirmed that he was leaving so he kept, And he was hinting in various interviews that they would record again, that they would come back together. McCartney, at the same time, secretly began to uh, record and started the process of planning to release his debut solo album, McCartney One. This subsequently came out, and the other members of the Beatles told him to delay because Ringo's, Ringo's fucking solo album took precedence over McCartney's (laughs) solo album Uh, but that was what was on the release schedule the rest of the band vetoed McCartney's release and said nah it's not happening McCartney didn't take this well it then led to him giving out a press release where he's (laughs) so he never said the Beatles were breaking up but he said he was having a break from the Beatles and they had no plans to work together we were on a break. <laughs> the entire world's press basically takes this as the Beatles have broken up, and all fucking hell Help. breaks loose. It's basically like they like the rest of the band go. You split up the band and used it as a way to promote your fucking solo album.
1: Anti-vegetarian line. <laughs>
2: Buy my album and these sausages (laughs) (laughs) So we basically descend into a ream of legal wranglings and bitterness That go on over the next two, three, four years And into this, McCartney releases uh, the album Ram And the opening song on it, the first part of our, our bitter beef Is too many people so um, I've got a couple of quotes from uh, from McCartney um, in Playboy in 1984. Saucy. What the fuck is it with the Beatles doing fucking interviews with Playboy? Because we had Lennon doing that anyway. He said, I remember there was uh, one tiny little reference to John in the whole thing. He'd been doing a lot of preaching and he got my nose a little bit. I wrote too many people preaching practices. I think that's the line. I mean, you fucking know that was line. You wrote it. That was a little dig at John and Yoko. There wasn't anything else on there that was about him. Oh, yeah, there was a line, you took your little break and broke it in two. So there's two fucking lines, Paul. You've already admitted. (laughs) And? And he edited that line as well. So, yeah. What was that line originally? It was supposed to be, Yoko took your lucky break. He was going to call out John's fucking wife later. So the first line, piece of cake was revealed to be a jab at
0: Lennon, so it was essentially piss of cake. No, no, it's, it's piss off cake. Like, everyone says, oh, piss off cake! I mean, like, come on, Paul, you can do better than that. I'm now starting a quest <laughs> to make piss off cake. <laughs> like, the worst insult you can give to someone. Um,
2: so in Mojo in 2001, uh, McCartney also said, I felt John and Yoko were telling everyone what to do, and I felt we didn't need to be told what to do. Yeah, so Too Many People is a fairly unsubtle slagging off of what he felt um John and Yoko had become, really.
0: In- indeed. However, speaking of unsubtle, is it time to move on to the second song in this class? Oh, fucking hell yeah. <laughs> so... The song written
2: in the aftermath of McCartney's ultimately successful legal case to dissolve the band. Lennon also does an interview with Rolling Stone where he fucking absolutely castigates McCartney. And the rest of the band. So George Harrison plays on How Do You Sleep? And I'll get to what Ringo thought about it. But the lyrics included, I mean, it's a bitter old fucking song. Oh, God, Jeff. Those freaks were right when they said you were dead. So that references uh, the belief that on Abbey Road, where McCartney walks, is walking across Abbey
0: Road with barefoot, barefoot, and that was believed to be that he was dead. I mean, I would suggest that. Um... One of the subtler lines of the song is the opening line.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the opening line of the song references Sgt. Pepper's. From the absolute get-go, John Lennon is not messing about here.
0: He is not. And as we spoke about a few weeks back, even when they were recording Sgt. Pepper's John Lennon very much thought it was Paul's album. And, um, yeah, those feelings seem to have erupted on this song.
2: Oh, yeah. Another lyric. The only thing you'd done were yesterday. Since you've gone, you're just another day. And another day was a uh, McCartney song that had been quite successful. And so, again, saying that basically you'd only done yesterday and you've had another hit. Well done.
1: So did Lennon admit that his song was about McCarthy? Oh, yeah. See, that's good because I don't understand celebrities that write horrible things, like not horrible things, but write beef about another celebrity, and then denied it. They've written it, I like, own it.
0: Absolutely, I, I could not agree more with you there, Sam, and that is something I'm gonna come back to when I go through my clashes. <laughs> but yes, he did. So I, I, uh, when we went through Arthur Peppers, I referenced the, the last interview John Lennon ever gave with Playboy magazine in 1980, well, which was actually published after his death. Anyway, so he said about how do you sleep? You know, I wasn't really feeling that vicious at the time, but I was using my resentment towards Paul to create a song. Let's put it that way. He saw that it pointedly refers to him. But, you know, there were a few digs on his album before mine. He's so obscure. Other people didn't notice them, but I heard them. I thought, well, I'm not obscure. I just get right down to the nitty gritty, which sums it up pretty emphatically, I would suggest. It's a bitter old song, this. So on the uh, documentary
2: that uh, got released, in the early two thousands, uh, giving you some shelter. There's video footage from him recording this song, where he says, "How do you sleep at night?" You. He actually says that down the camera.
1: I mean, he is He's a pissed, pissed
2: off cake. And supposedly, Ringo uh, was there for the recording of "How Do You Sleep," and said to Lennon, "That's enough." He got visibly upset by it, like you, because it's because it's not <laughs> subtle. And he, he absolutely called Linda as Linda yeah. McCartney as well. So
1: I was gonna say that is something that I definitely again, I don't want to come across like a female justice Warrior like in a negative way. <laughs> it just it is frustrating. It's frustrating that McCartney thought it, originally that it was acceptable to blame Yoko for Lenin's decisions, but also that Lennon actually dissed Linda in it, like. If you've got beef with someone, have the beef with that someone. And I don't think it's just about women. I think if the roles were reversed and women were singing songs about men, I think just keep the beef with that person. And, I mean, and
2: what, what I do want to say before we actually get to talk to the song, well, both songs, it's, it's absolutely wild to me that this song, this bitter, virulent castigation of the person that you had such a strong musical bond with, is on imagine, which is lauded as this being <laughs> to harmony and peace. <laughs> yeah. It's like imagine this thought of this like amazing, like this song that to bring everyone together. And on the same fucking album, you are absolutely tearing the, apart. Tearing apart the man that you have you will always be linked with. Okay, so let's let's talk about the music. So Let's start with McCartney. How do you feel about Too Many People?
0: I really, really like Too Many People, and I always have. So I love the guitar riff that starts it off and that then continues through the chorus, and that is the melody of the lyrics in the chorus as well. The juxtaposition between the chorus and the verse is really good. I think the verse is sung with the same spite and bitterness that Helter Skelter is sung with on the White Album, and it's one of my favourite Beatles songs, Helter Skelter. It sounds, as I've said, it sounds biting and spiteful, but it also sounds soulful. And, well, don't just take my word for that. Rolling Stone agreed. So the Rolling Stone review of Ram about this song said, the incredibly sweet melody is proof that McCartney could use his charm as a weapon when he wanted to. I mean, exactly that. I really like Too Many People. It's a really good song. And to cap it all off, to bring things home, you've got an absolute face melter of a guitar solo. It's a great song.
1: I really enjoyed this song. The guitar at the end was absolutely fantastic. I really, truly enjoyed this song. It drew me in. I felt like I was a part of the story. I could hear his rage throughout the song. I, I, I do agree with Tim that it's soulful, and I did really enjoy it, but my favourite, favourite part was the guitar riff, and I'm not somebody that enjoys a guitar riff normally. Like, I don't really like that. I absolutely loved this. It was fantastic.
2: Okay, so I suppose that comes to, comes to me. So I'm, I'm very mixed on the song. It doesn't really grab me until the end. The freak out at the end is fucking boss. But I'm sorry, um, it never really pulls me in. I, I, I will be honest with it. And I can see you shaking your head. And
1: Not even the guitar bit.
2: No, the, no, the ending is brilliant. And I really like the Can't ending. Have the
0: best part of this song is the chorus.
1: Nah, no, I'm not having it. I don't like it. Fuck off. I disagree. I disagree.
0: <sighs> You're sleeping on the sofa tonight.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. So how do you feel about how do you sleep?
1: I didn't like that song. It didn't draw me in at all. It made me kind of feel nothing. I could hear the rage in it and I could hear the the frustration, but I thought it was over the top. I think it, obviously it's written well. It's a John Lennon song, but <sighs> It didn't make me feel anything because I felt like it perhaps was too extreme. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it wasn't my favourite, in all honesty. I don't think I'd put it on my car playlist.
0: Fair enough. Tim? So, I do like it. I do like How to Sleep. I mean, it's not subtle at all. Oh, no. It, I mean, like we've, we've got to be very clear. This is a fucking bitter Al song. Oh, God, yeah, it is. I mean, it's classic Lennon, you know, the double track vocals. So so whilst it may not fit with the theme of what people have talked about Imagine, as we said earlier, it certainly fits with the sound of Imagine. It's got a really good guitar solo in it. It's got a really great organ part to bring it home. It's a Harrison guitar solo. Exactly. George Harrison guitar. We've talked about George before. The organ part to bring it home. I really, really like that. But, and this is a big but, it's too long It doesn't go anywhere. It's got none of the variety of too many people. And by the end of it, despite that organ part, and despite the guitar solo, I find myself thinking, come on, wrap it up, John. I agree with Ringo. Enough's enough.
1: Yeah.
0: If I just say, now fucking get back in your box. So I like it, but it ain't great. I (laughs) think
1: I wholeheartedly agree with you there, Tim. I really do.
2: So for me... I think it's got a good funk to it. It's got a good groove to it. It's got a Harrison guitar solo, which is always going to pull me in. The organ as well works really well. It, it's difficult to say because I don't, it's not a song to like because it's so fucking bitter. It's, it is like biting into, into a lemon, but... Do you know what I've had a shot? I've had a shot of tequila. I've had some salt. I'm going to bite into the fucking lemon. Well, I would suggest this song is all salt.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm all right with that though because I do like that kind of biting element to it. I, I have to say that between the two,
0: do you know what I prefer this song? I do, I do. But Sam and I have won, so that's. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're definitely wrong, Kev.
1: You are I, wrong.
2: Look, a working class hero is something you want to be.
0: <laughs> okay. Right. Shall we get to mine? Okay. I mean, both of mine are from the 90s. Of course they are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for my first beef, for my first clash, I'm going to serve up. it Well, it's Courtney Love versus Dave Grohl, frankly. <laughs> what, what more do you say? Two people who really, really like each other. Yeah, they're f- big, big friends, big friends. So, Courtney Love, she was the frontwoman of the band Hole. And, of course, she is the widow of Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain. Dave Grohl, formerly drummer with Nirvana and obviously now frontman of Foo Fighters. And generally known as a good egg. Yes. Well, well, generally known, apart from by Courtney Love. Yeah.
1: Everyone except her.
0: All right. So, some background. Clearly, there is history, as I've just described it. Kurt Cobain and Dave Grohl were close. They were so close, in fact, that Dave Grohl attended Kurt and Courtney's wedding, which even Chris Novoselic, the bassist from Nirvana, did not. Anyway, obviously, Kurt Cobain tragically committed suicide in 94, leaving Courtney as a widow, and their daughter, Frances Bean Cobain, obviously without a father. In the aftermath of that, Dave Grohl goes on to found the Foo Fighters, uh, whole go on to release, you know, certainly Celebrity Skin came out. Anyway, and this is really the, the origin of this beef. In 1999, November, Dave Grohl is being interviewed by Howard Stern on Howard Stern's radio show. And he's asked, what is your favourite Hole song? To which Dave Grohl replies, teenage whore, because I know she wrote that one. Which is, was taken or or actually was a direct accusation that Kurt Cobain wrote a lot of whole songs on their first two albums. Again, that was an accusation. I'm not saying that's true. That was the insinuation, I would say. It's not
1: even
0: even
2: insinuating. It's like, well, I know she wrote that one. Exactly.
0: I mean, Dave, come on. You're better than that. Yeah. Yes, quite. Have a word, Dave. Exactly. And with that comment, so began the longest-running rivalry in rock history. And I'm going to come on to the songs, but there's there's so much to go through here. So Courtney Love's initial response... She took it well. Well, she did take it well, and and she called Dave Roll a stupid motherfucker, you know? (laughs) Then, in 2001, she sued Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic to dissolve the Nirvana parent company, whatever you call it. All I'm going to say about that is that lengthy legal battles ensued. I'm not going to comment any further, because I don't want to get sued. <sighs> so. And she, she left it there. Sadly, she didn't leave it there. <laughs> And, and she very much still hasn't left it there. Ooh. I'll come back to that. Oh. I'll come back to that. All right. In 1998, Hull released the album Celebrity Skin, which was the first album they've released since Kurt Cobain's uh, suicide. So, On Celebrity Skin is a song called Playing Your Song, which is very clearly about... Both Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic. I'm just going to quote some of the lyrics. Ooh, their innocence tastes like candy. Yeah. Got so fat on it, it's a tragedy. Yeah. Implying that they have got uh, rich on the legacy of her sadly deceased husband. Then there's another lyric. Don't you dare blame me. You trusted everything. They sold you out. Perhaps a message to her former husband. Uh, about her, her, his former bandmates. So, whilst she has never admitted that it was about Dave Gore and Chris Novoselic, those are just two of the lyrics which, sorry, Courtney, there was no denying who and what that song is about.
2: I mean, Courtney Love has never been known for subtlety <laughs> <laughs> as anyone who has ever
0: seen any kind of live performance by Hole. So, I saw Hole live at uh, Glastonbury in... 99 it would have been because it was after celebrity skin came out and this was the period in which Courtney Love had decided that she was going to bare her chest during every show thinking that it was look at me I'm so and it just went down like yeah okay fine what what so and it anyway they, they were fine they they played they played their material well it was a perfectly enjoyable performance Okay, so that was playing your song, Stacked Actors. The the song that I've chosen to go opposite playing your song in this particular clash, Stacked Actors by the Foo Fighters. Now, it is, or has been suggested, it is alleged, whatever you want to say, that, that Dave Grohl has written several songs over the years about Courtney Love, including I'll Stick Around from their eponymously titled debut album. Stacked Actors is the one I've chosen. And whilst Dave Grohl has never actually admitted that it is about Courtney Love, he was interviewed by the NME in 1999. And well, again, to me, this is all but an admission. So to quote, I wrote Stacked Actors about everything that is fake and everything that is plastic and glamorous and unreal. So if that pertains to anyone that comes to mind, then there you go. I mean, Dave, (laughs) come on.
2: And of course, like there's nothing to be inferred from that, particularly when the ex-wife of your former bandmate has released an album called "Celebrity Skin," uh, which is all yeah. about being fake and everything like that.
1: Could you make yeah. it any more obvious? <laughs> Just yeah. say who it's about.
0: Exactly.
1: Exactly. This is what I was going to say. Just fucking say. Of
0: course, it's about Courtney. She, I fucking hate it. Of course, it's about her. Just say that, Dave. For quite Have a you second. met her? <laughs> All
2: right.
0: So, despite Dave's non admission admission, Courtney Love definitely thought it was about her.
1: <laughs> really? As
0: she told Howard Stern in an interview in December 1999, just one month after Dave Rowland said the, the quote about uh, Teenage Hall. During that interview, she also claimed that Kurt Cobain hated Dave, that Dave Grohl had betrayed Kurt and turned on him uh, by not helping him when he was suffering the worst um, aspects of his heroin addiction before his death. <laughs> she also claimed in that interview that she'd never written a song about Dave Grohl. I mean, um, I mean, two minutes ago, Courtney, I I, I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, just some of the lyrics. It, it's pretty clear to me what the song's about. God bless. What a sensitive mess. Yeah, but things aren't always what they seem. You're teary-eyed. Your famous disguise. Never knowing who to believe. Hmm. Does that remind you of anything or anyone?
2: No, it's it's very subtle. It's. Um, I mean, you've really <laughs> got to read through the subtext.
1: Read between
0: the lines read between the lines. All right, okay. <laughs> I said earlier that um that wasn't the end of it and it's not. So oh, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us up more up to date. So in 2011, Courtney Love in an Instagram post, she claimed <laughs> that Dave Grohl had been hitting on her and Kurt's daughter, Frances Bean Cobain. A claim that was angrily denied by Dave Grohl, but also notably one Francis (laughs) Cobain, who also suggested that her own mother should be banned from Twitter.
2: I I I mean, uh,
1: big respect to Francis. Big respect to Francis. (laughs) I
2: mean, I, I don't even know if this has come up, but I'm sure there was a whole thing
0: around the release of one of the Rock Band games. Yeah, there was, there absolutely was. It was one of the garage band or rock band games anyway. The estate of Kurt Cobain licensed his likeness to appear on the game. And when it emerged that you could unlock Kurt as a character and then have him appear playing along to um Toto. Yeah, songs <laughs> other than Nirvana's there was an almighty ruckus kicked off. Courtney Love blamed Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic, who both responded to say, we don't own the estate <laughs> of Kurt Cobain. We have no control over his image rights. It's nothing to do with us. And said, we urge the makers of the game to remove this unlockable character anyway. So there's that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. It, it, it gets better. It gets better. It, it gets, but, but then it gets worse. So so in 2014, Nirvana was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh Well, I'm sure that went well. Well, it did go well, Kevin. It actually did go well. So Courtney Love, during their induction, on stage, Courtney Love and Dave Grohl embraced and both spoke afterwards about how they'd buried the hatchet and how they'd realized that they shared this common love that should be celebrated and, and not continue the divide, which is a lovely end to the story, isn't it? Yeah. It's not though.
1: It's not she it. <laughs> kiss it, baby. No, I
0: was gonna say, like, yeah. did Courtney just regret that she hadn't literally buried a hatchet? I mean, uh, <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is a long time in the past. You know, it's as long ago as, oh, last month, June 2021. In a now-deleted Instagram post... Of course. Oh,
1: geez. I mean,
2: her daughter had warned her that she should get <laughs> off Instagram.
0: No, she said she should get off Twitter. Well, which just she did. social
2: media. This
0: was on Instagram. <laughs> so, in a now-deleted Instagram post, Courtney, well... She made several comments to insinuate that Dave Grohl's nice guy image is just an act and that he is very far from a nice guy. That's not the worst part of it, actually. And the worst part doesn't involve Dave Grohl at all. She also insinuated or accused, alleged, whatever you want to say, in that same post that Trent Reznor from the Nine Inch Nails was a paedophile. (laughs) <laughs> oh, see, I can see your faces and the listeners cannot see your faces. I
1: am actually speechless. I mean, is there, is there I, truth or proof of such a of claim no, that she no, made? no, no,
0: no, wow, no, what? no, no. So, as I said, this is a now deleted Instagram <laughs> post <laughs> to which Courtney posted an apology saying, and I haven't written it down, but it's basically, I need to realise there's real people behind things I post. And, yeah, soz. <laughs> you literally accused someone
2: of being a nonce, which... <laughs> Maybe she's Mason Lobby McGee. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Got a reference.
0: <laughs> uh, so, so, to be clear, we are not accusing Trent Reznor of any misdemeanours. No. This is a deleted post from Courtney Love, which she has since apologised for. But... Um,
1: I mean, I'm sorry, anyone over the age of 15 can't use, I need to realise there's people behind the screens. Like, if you're over 15, you can't use that because you should already fucking know.
0: She might as well have just said, I was hacked. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, right, so that's the beef. That's Courtney and Dave. What do we think of the songs? Let's go playing your song first. Uh, Sam, what do you think?
1: I enjoyed the song. I thought the song was really, really good.
0: It, it sounds like a whole song. like yeah. do, you, do you know, it, that's what it it's sounds what like. It's what you
1: expect when you listen to it whole. I enjoyed it, but not as much.
0: And I, I mean, uh, it's, it's, so the suspense is killing us, as, as to what you're going to say about stack actors. Kev, playing your song, what do you think? It's a whole song. It's perfect. It's
2: perfectly fine. I've never been a huge Hole fan. I've never really disliked them. They are they are perfectly good at what they do. Yeah,
1: it's all right. That's exactly how I feel. Like I don't know what else to say other than like it's an okay song.
0: All right. Okay. Uh, I like this. I like this. So. Again, peeling back the production curtain. I was I had initially suggested a different song for this clash. So I initially suggested Teenage Horror" because that was, as I said earlier, that was the, the, the song that Dave Gore referred to, which really sparked this feud. But I went with this one, obviously, because it fits with the theme as it's being written about the other party. I like playing your song. I really like the 12 string guitar intro that also plays throughout the chorus. It's very my Iron Lung for me. I think Celebrity Skin's a good album. I do. It's a decent album. It is a decent album. And it's very much a departure from Paul's traditional sound, if you like.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree with what you're saying, definitely. I mean, so Celebrity
2: Skin, and you've said this to me before, Is it's a much poppier album. It, it mm-hmm. has a much more commercial sound to it. I mean, yes. it's, a perfect, it's a perfectly good song. Personally, I preferred... Um, the first song that you, because it's uh, it has that rawness and like, oh I it, and it's if I'm going to a whole song I want that rawness I want that like a bit uh, I mean comparing them to to a contemporary like that L7 sounds like
0: it, <laughs> it, so interestingly enough did you know that that um, Teenage Hall uh, well and the whole of uh, Pretty on the Inside whole's debut album. Was produced by Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth. That does not surprise me. No, exactly. If you didn't, if you didn't know it, you know now. It's like yeah.
1: of course of it course was. Of course it yeah. is. Yeah.
0: All right, stack taxes. So Sam, you you've already you've already said that you preferred Stack Taxes, but I what apologize do you think about-
1: for giving it away, but I just I love I love the Foo Fighters. I love Dave Grohl. I mean, I absolutely idolise Taylor Hawkins drumming. And I just absolutely loved the song. It was powerful. It was impactful. It's a tune. It's something that you can listen to in the car. I just really enjoyed the song. It's a brilliant piece of music. I Mm -hmm. mean,
2: I've always liked this song. So as Sam says, she's absolutely nailed it. The Taylor Hawkins drumming is the centrifugal force of this song. It absolutely drives it forward. And it goes goes like a fucking train. I'm I'm sorry, Courtney. Dave's won because <laughs> it, it's so
1: good. As someone that drummed it in my youth, it it excites. Me. It's just exciting. It properly ticks all of the boxes. First of a bars, boss song. first
2: bars of the song just grab you and like, yeah, I'm
0: fucking with you. Mm, okay, so a slight disagreement. Okay. You said it's the drums that drive this song forward. I mean, it's the bass line that drives the song forward. It is. It just fucking is. <laughs> uh, so you said about the drumming and Taylor Hawkins, etc. So uh, one of the best gigs I've ever been to. Manchester Apollo, December 2000. I went to see the Foo Fighters. Before Stacked Actors, we had a two-minute drum-off between Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins which led in to Stacked Actors. Sam, it was fucking amazing. So, suspense over. So I teased you a bit there. I mean, Stacked Actors is an absolute fucking rammer of a song. I do like playing your song, but it doesn't even come close. Sorry, Courtney. As Kev said, Dave's won this. Hands down. We have a whitewash again. Clean sweep, three for three, Stack actors wins. Whoop, whoop. All right, should we go on to the last one?
1: Yeah, let's go. Sounds.
0: So, for my last beef, for my last clash, I would say I've possibly gone for the most famous rivalry of all time. Certainly the most tragic. Yeah.
1: Definitely the most tragic.
0: Uh, so, so uh, if you've not guessed already, it's Tupac versus Biggie. So, the first track in this clash is uh, Notorious B.I.G.'s "Who Shot Yet? which was released on the 21st of February 95 as a B-side to a reissue of the single Big Popper. It was produced by Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, whatever the fuck you want to call them nowadays. Um, obviously released on, on Bad Boy Records. Okay, so background to this rivalry. Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls They had been friends. They met during filming of the movie Poetic Justice in 1993. So Biggie Smalls told Vibe magazine later that we just clicked off the top and were cool ever since. So they were mates. They were not always rivals. However, things turned sour when on the 30th of November 1994, Tupac Shakur was robbed at gunpoint outside the uh, quad recording studio in New York. And he was shot five times. It changed him that because yeah it like how how he presented
2: himself pre-the shooting and how how he was after it
0: was very, very different. It was very, very different, and that, that plays into part of the story of this rivalry, part of the story of this beef. Although it's what I would say is that I've never been shot five times. So, I don't know how much it would change me. It's going to change it. I'd imagine it would have an impact. That's all I'm going to say.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're not going to shake that off,
0: are you? Well, not straight away. Hold on, Sam. Hold on to that (laughs) thought. Right. So, the eye of suspicion quickly turned to Biggie Smalls himself. And when Biggie released Who Shot You, Tupac basically took it as a direct reference to that, uh, that, that Biggie was boasting about what had happened. Biggie claimed, and this is a quote, that he had wrote that motherfucking song way before Tupac got shot. Tupac wasn't convinced by that. So he, uh, in a counter quote, said, even if that song ain't about me, you should be like, I'm putting that out because you might think it's about him. I mean, like, he's got a fair point there. So this, so as I say...
1: I was literally about to say he's got a point. February 95,
0: (laughs) November 94, like three months. Like, you know, just, just... Let's give it six months.
1: That's it. You'd have more respect for your mate, wouldn't you? Your so-called mate that has been through what I can only imagine is one of the most traumatic experiences anybody Mm -hmm. can ever live through. And then you release a song that could potentially be perceived Mm -hmm. as about him. I mean, that that could
0: potentially. It's doing a lot of work there, but I would suggest that what I'm about to say is going to ease the burden on that. Could potentially. <laughs> <laughs> and all I'm gonna do is quote some of the lyrics. So within the song, Biggie says, brave N-word turned front page N-word. That was very much taken by Tupac as a reference to and you mentioned um the stoicism earlier. So just 24 hours after Tupac was hospitalized with five gunshot wounds. Hospitalized. Hospitalized. Let's be clear, <laughs> hospitalized. Not like, oh, I've been shot. Oh yeah, but it's only in your arm. Hospitalized. It's not. It's not James Brown shooting
1: you, no, 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 and you get a hundred dollars
2: no, no, no. as as your. No.
1: And to all the listeners, if you if you can count how many times this pair have just said "hospitalized," you win ten points. <laughs> leave a review. Leave a review and comment how many times they've both just said "hospitalized."
0: Do you know what, Sam? I'm going to edit all but one "hospitalized" out. But leave your bit in. (laughs) You're going to sound like the dick.
1: (laughs) As if I don't already.
0: (laughs) Anyway, so just 24 hours later, Tupac checked himself out of the hospital, and that made front page headlines.
2: Well, and I think I think what's important to say as well, uh, particularly in relation to Tupac. I mean, we've talked about him before, and his message. Obviously, he was influenced by his mother, who was a Black Panther, mm-hmm. um, and it was very much of a, you know, like pro Black liberation. It was it was very much of the the thought process yeah. behind the Black Panther movement. Yeah. yeah. After this, fuck no! Like the man's been shot, yeah. so I can understand
0: why yeah. why he changed his viewpoint. But he wasn't this before that. So yes, to, to grossly oversimplify what you've just said, I would suggest that. Pre-shooting, he was much more public enemy. Post-shooting, he was much more N.W.A. And that's, as I say, a gross oversimplification. Yeah, that's yeah, a that's,
1: that's, that's a That's a, that's a good, way, a good yeah. way
0: to uh... define it, really. Right, let's move on to Tupac's response. In, in June 96, again, as a B-side to, to how do you want it in this case, Tupac released, hit him up. So after having been jailed on charges of violent sexual assault which we won't go into now but I think we've made our views clear on on those sorts of misdemeanors in the past. Mm -hmm. Tupac was bailed out to the tune of 1.4 million dollars. I mean fuck that's a hell of a bail bond. 1.4 million (laughs) dollars. So that bail was posted by Suge Knight of the infamous Death Row Records and from that point, Tupac obviously starts to record with Death Row. We spoke about his working with Dr. Dre. Obviously, California Love is a very, very famous song. And uh, and yeah, so Hit Him Up was released in June of '96. And, you know, right from the start, much like we said about John Lennon earlier, it's not a very subtle response. No.
1: Definitely not. I mean,
0: there is absolutely no subtext. No.
2: Like, you're not even trying to disguise it. I mean, we listened to it again today. and I
1: mean, mean, when I first listened to it, I don't think I appreciated how unsubtle the song was. And listening to it a few times, I was like, wow. He had something to say and he did not stutter.
0: He, he's he's calling him out. Yeah. So right, right from the start, Tupac says, and this is the intro. He's not even started the song yet. This is the fucking intro. I ain't got no motherfucking friends. That's why I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. Referring to Biggie's wife, Lil Kim.
2: I mean, certainly that's that's going to go down well. Uh, oh, exactly. Alluding to alluding to having relations with his wife.
0: I mean, it and it and it, it just goes on from there. Oh, and all I'm going to do is just read what the chorus says. Grab your glocks when you see Tupac. Call the cops when you see Tupac. Who shot me? But you punks didn't finish. There's loads more I could quote, but you get the you get the
2: picture. I mean, we've talked about songs that are call to arms. <laughs> I mean, without meaning to sound flippant and uh, gauche about it, I mean, this literally is a call to arms. Like, mm-hmm. this is literally calling people to take up arms. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, I was, I was going to say one of the lines that really struck out to me, kind of from the first time I heard this song, because it's the first time I heard it was, was for this podcast, was... Cut your young ass up, leave you in pieces. Now be deceased. Yeah. And it's like he wasn't coming to play. Nope. No, like he he. There was no messing around. He didn't mince his words. He went in at ten and he stayed at ten. Yeah. I
0: would argue that the the outro, it goes up to eleven because he's basically by name calling yeah. out everyone. Yeah. He calls out Puffy. He calls out Biggie. Calls out Mob Deep. Fucking everyone. And it's like, he's just going for them. Like, as both of you said, it is a call to arms. It is. Yeah. Take up arms. We are going to war. Unfortunately.
1: I think it's even more heart-wrenching because of the fallout.
0: Mm I agree. Before we get there, and this is going to make it more heartbreaking. So Biggie gave an interview. Well, I've already quoted part of the, the interview that Biggie gave to Vibe in 96. This came up and he appeared genuinely upset by what Tupac had, had rapped about. So the quote is, this shit's just got to be talk. That's all I kept saying to myself. I can't believe he would think that I would shit on him like that. Now, again, I don't know if that was genuine or if that was put on, but but that's the quote that appeared in the article. And as we've alluded to, tragically, the pair never made amends. It's Tupac Shakur, he was shot dead in Las Vegas in September of 96. Suspicion obviously immediately turned to to Biggie, given the the, the highly publicised rivalry between the two. But he is quoted as having said, even though we were going through drama, I would never wish death on nobody. Biggie himself in 1997, in March of 97, was murdered in LA. Again, shot dead. And all I will say is that to this day, both murders remain unsolved which is perhaps the most tragic part of this rivalry and i'm sorry to end Mm -hmm. this on a downer but um yeah
1: nobody wins in this situation nobody nobody came out on top and and the most tragic of circumstances the worst possible thing that could happen did happen
0: yeah i i I, do you know what i almost feel like i'm doing them a disservice to to say this but we have to rate the two songs against each other. And um, with that, Kev, what are your thoughts on Who Shot You?
2: How's up with this? I do not wish to speak ill of the dead. But reviewing the music, reviewing the song itself, is I found it a bit nondescript. It never, It never grabbed me. It never took me along with it. And lyrically, I've never I've never really been a huge fan of of Biggie's work. I will be I'll be truly honest about that. Okay. So?
1: So I am a fan of the song. However, I felt like because I listened to it from the perspective that it's about Tupac, obviously, it's only alleged. I, I listened to it as though it was about him, it made sense to be about him to me, I felt that the song was unnecessary. The music itself was okay. I enjoyed the song. I didn't love the song. And thinking more about the perspective of who I believe the song to be about, I just found it unnecessary, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: It does make sense. Okay, um, so I, I, um, I, I, I disagree with you two here. I like this. I think Biggie was, tragically. I think Biggie was an incredible MC and that comes through on this track. Uh, I mean, it's a B-side. So so what you said, Kev, it's clearly a B-side. The instrumental sample that's looped throughout, just for interest, it is a sample of David Porter's The Masquerade Is Over. What I will say is it doesn't really go anywhere. It's very repetitive. The song is almost ruined by... And you can clearly hear one Sean Puffy Coombs underneath the (laughs) rapping going, what you want to do? Because he can't help himself. (sighs) Anyway, that irritated me. But to me, Biggie saves it. I think he was a phenomenal MC. And I like this song. I like Who Shot You. So that's me. Fair enough. Now, hit him up. So we'll go same order. Kev, you first.
2: Okay. Okay whilst i deplore the outcome and the how this feud played out there is a part of me that likes the anger within this song and the the bitterness and the the absolutely calling people out i've always had a soft spot for Tupac's for his rhythm his cadence his like everything about his mc and i've always really enjoyed it and like this, this shows exactly why I like him. It's it's great. It's just absolutely great.
1: I really enjoy this song, without sounding like a hypocrite from saying before that I felt like John Lennon's was too angry to enjoy. I felt like whilst this was too angry, the man had been shot five times, and a man he thought was his friend released a song that he thought was about him and I I completely get where it's coming from and it's exactly like you say it's what exactly what you would expect from Tupac that he spits he spits the rage out and he just gives it yeah he puts it on a plate and he's like there you fucking go take that and I like the fact that he has the courage to call people out, that he's got the confidence, he's a, you know, he's got courage in his convictions. He's, he's, he's annoyed and he's telling you exactly why he's annoyed. There's no messing around. There's no mincing of his words. He's just there, have it, take it, it's done. And I, I respect that. Okay,
0: okay. So what do I think about Hit Him Up? This song is misogynistic. It is hateful. It is angry. It is bitter. It is spiteful but it is fucking brilliant so it samples uh former temptation dennis edwards and his song don't look any further which is one of the greatest bass lines of all time sorry it is it's a banger it is a fucking it's an banger. absolutely banger. banger definitely i could i there's nothing else i can say to what you've already said he spits the fury i fucking love this it's brilliant and as you said, Kev, he's a phenomenal MC. They both were. They both were. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Two, this is everything I liked about Tupac.
1: Yeah.
0: I fucking love this tune. So we are three for three. Tupac wins. Okay.
1: Definitely.
0: Great stuff. So that, does that bring us to the end? I believe that does.
1: De- I believe it does too.
0: Well, I hope you've enjoyed our bonus episode. We might do some more of these if you listen to it. Otherwise, we might just sack it off and not bother
1: if you enjoyed me being on it like drop us a comment somewhere
0: so sam would you like to give a plug to your own socials
1: i would you're quite fortunate with me that you get to see my face Uh, and if you want to see my face then you can head over to youtube tiktok or Instagram where you can find me at at lifewithsam93 where you can find various random and if I do say so myself hilarious content and if you want to see a bit more comedy and a bit more of niche work then you can also find me on TikTok under sister warriors and I'd be totally grateful if you did go and check me out and leave me a comment and tell me if you found me on this podcast
0: So, yes, follow Sam. Go and have a look at Sam's stuff. But most importantly, tell your fucking makes about the fucking podcast, will you? Because honestly. (laughs) uh, Right. Okay, Kev, come on. So, if you're
2: a fan of seeing a man insert a flare up his backside in Leicester Square, then you may want to try Twitter. (laughs) And you can see the full unedited photo without the pixels. And once you've seen it, you can't you can unsee, never it? unsee it. Fuck me, you can never unsee it.
1: <laughs> I'm traumatized! So
2: if you if you are on Twitter, please check us out at Clash Album. If you are a fan of quality content, and we will big up the creator of that content.
0: Yeah, Sam's boss.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh check us out on the Insta at Clash Album. Or if you are resolutely old school, please send us an email at albumclash at gmail.com.
0: Just send us your fucking death threats, I told you last time.
2: Or just sign Sign us up for some weird fetish. Yeah, like
0: Tim would be banged into Quite. it. Oh,
1: that would make Tim's death.
0: <laughs> 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 <Wait, laughs> really
1: uh,
0: yeah, okay. Hope you enjoy the bonus episode. Our next full-on clash starts on Thursday, really. And uh, just to remind you, the albums we're going to be going through in the last of our beef season but also the start of a new season which is our brit pop season so i'm going to take us through blurs the great escape and kev you're going to take us through what's a story morning
2: glory by oasis boom full on fucking beef
1: get your wellies on we're going to the farm <laughs> well i'm not going but you guys are
0: good stuff okay Thank you very much for listening. Like, subscribe, all that shite. I've been Tim. I've been Kat.
1: And I've been Sam.
0: Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. ta da, take care. Ta-ra, cheers.
1: Bye.